This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate. Hi, I'm Greg Watson and welcome to this week's show of Property Matters. This is being recorded in lockdown level four, which makes it a bit tricky. I'm here in front of my laptop and hoping that the masters and magicians at one or two people's radio can make the sound pretty good and come to you. So Property Matters, of course, the show where we talk all things property and I've got an assortment of articles here to talk about and I thought I'd share some with you. So it's really not quite as organised as I usually am, but let's uh, get into it anyway. Interestingly, uh, lockdown has done nothing to slow the demand for property. And this article talks about the Wellington region. Ten townhouses in Days Bay were all under contract within 48 hours of being listed by Ray White Kimi's brothers this past weekend. The listing agent, Kristen Davis, said the properties were listed at 4.30pm on Friday, August 20th. Were all sold by Sunday afternoon. The purchases have all bought off plans, but the townhouse is due for completion in 2022. She says it was a busy weekend and quite painful to work through all contracts remotely, the agent said. It was a 74-page contract and there are a few older buyers who are not familiar with scanning. But David said that even though lockdown made that part of the process slightly more difficult, purchasers would not have been able to view completed properties anyway. So in that respect, uh, lockdown didn't impact the sales. It's quite uh, quite amazing. I'm going to jump back and forth between all sorts of property news this week because it's just simply easier for me to do so as I'm summarising a bunch of things that have been in the news and I'm going back and forth on my mobile phone. So this article from Deborah Morris on Stuff says landlord fined $30,000 over a legal flat he rented out for more than three years. Now this is uh, an incredible story and uh, and so it's pretty much everything you shouldn't do. So an Auckland property owner who put up an illegal rental with storm water, water running down a hallway and exposed timber framing has been fined $30,000 after ignoring for years in order to demolish it. Yongming Zhao built the small rental, a two-bedroom flat, on his property in 2015. After a complaint, council officers did a site visit and found a woman who said she was a tenant and that Zhao was her landlord. They found there was no fire separation between the flat and the original building, and the flat was not watertight and shoddily made. Auckland City Council issued Zhao with a notice to fix, requiring him to remove the flat altogether by April of, ne- of the following year. In February of 2016, a council officer visited and told Zhao it needed to be done and extended the deadline. But in July, after another council visit, nothing had been done. Zhao refused to provide a timeline for the work to be completed. The council continued to give Zhao notices until 2017 when he said it would be done soon. But on further visits, uh, the uh, officers could see more building work had been done. So it's just really uh, uh, flaunting the, the rules, I guess. So the Auckland District Court Judge Rob Ronane said that in a recently published judgment, Zhao appeared to be solely responsible for the building work and was observed personally undertaking the work. He was given multiple opportunities to comply, but has been entirely uncooperative and shown a complete disregard for the Building Act. 
He'd also had income from the rental property during those three years. He told council officers that it was difficult to remove the building work because of the tenants living in the rooms. The judge said Zhao had also avoided paying rates required and, and uh, when additional buildings were established on a single site. So it goes on and on and on, but the judge said unbelievably that it is only now that he understands the rules and he fined Zhao $30,000 and ordered that 90% of that fine goes to the council. So really uh, quite an incredible story there. So part of an extreme situation there, how people think that they can get away with these things, it really is uh, beyond me. This article by Miriam Bell is really just typical of the market at the moment. Uh, it says that nearly 100% of people selling their homes make big profits. So nearly everyone who sold a home in the second quarter of this year made a big profit from doing so, new data shows. CoreLogic's latest pain and gain report found 99% of properties nationwide were resold for more than the original purchase price in the three months to June. That was up from 98.9% in the first part of the year. It was the highest proportion in the 25 years the property research company had been compiling in the figures. The national median resale gain also hit a record at 347,500, which was up from 315,000 in the first part of the year. So what they're talking about there was with at the 347,500 is how much people who have sold have made in terms of profit. Now you may recall that if people are buying and selling their personal property, there is no tax to pay on that. And if they've had the property for quite a number of years, there is also no tax to pay if they're an investor. However, the bright line test of the government means that if you now buy and sell certain properties within 10 years, you have to pay tax on that. But still, if you're getting $350,000 and had to pay some tax, um, there's really not too much to complain about, I wouldn't have thought. Of the main centres, Wellington was the strongest performer. It had a record high with a median resale profit of $535,000. Quite incredible indeed. Don't know if we've got any stats here for Manotu Wanganui. No, we haven't, unfortunately. But it's certainly an interesting thing to look at. And that's where it's going to be pretty unlikely that property prices are going to drop in the near future. And those increases will keep going for those who are lucky enough or were uh, they've got their timing right about buying properties. Makes you also wonder what's happening with rents at the moment. And this article on TradeMe says that rents leap by the largest amount on record. Rents around the country were up by 10% year on year at a new high in July, new rental figures show. TradeMe Properties' latest rental price index put the national median weekly rent at $550 in July, up from the previous record of 5.45 in June. And that's an increase of 10% on this time last year. If you're a landlord and you haven't popped the rents up uh, for quite some time, you might be well and truly out of date with regards where those rents should be. So some of the areas that went really well, um, Taranaki had the biggest annual growth in rents, with its median rent up by 19%. Manotu Wanganui, had annual growth of 15%. So median rent is now at $460 per week. So big changes there. Uh, as house prices rise, often rents rise as well. And uh, that's uh, something which is uh, really um, very tricky These uh, for everybody. It's sort of almost like a little loop where people are saving for their first home, but they have to pay 
more rent, and 10% more rent is no laughing matter. And Kiwi Bank Chief Executive says that housing affordability is a wicked problem. This is Chief Executive Steve Zhurkovich. He's dubbed housing affordability for aspiring home buyers a wicked problem, and he says he does not expect a sharp fall in prices. So the social purpose of Kiwi Bank, he says, was to make making Kiwis better off, but one group of customers currently struggling to achieve are aspiring first-home buyers. He says, I don't see a sharp fall, I see a moderation in growth. My view is actually the supply side is really constrained and so that will hold up pricing. Young people seem to think that banks are not doing enough for young aspiring home buyers that recent research has shown, but according to um, Steve, he says that banks have lent very strongly in the housing market. There's been a massive swing to lend into housing and away from agri and business across the whole market. Is that really the best way to help people get onto the property ladder? In one sense, you might say that they, the, the banks, are helping people get into homes. He says he's got a 21-year-old, and without the support of the parents, the ability to save 20% deposit in Auckland market is very low indeed. So it still continues to be tough out there. Again, it will probably get tougher before it gets easier. And that leads to uh, this article which makes you just wonder what's going on with the market. A rundown Greylin villa fetches 2.525 million in a virtual auction. So strong interest in a rundown villa in Greylin in Auckland saw it sell in a virtual auction on August 25th for over 2.5 million. The deceased estate in Malay Street, which had been in the same family for nearly 100 years, was virtually untouched and described as the ultimate do-up. The property, which was listed by Chloe and Scott Wither of Ray White Ponsonby, attracted 21 registered bidders with 25 bids placed by agents on behalf of their clients. It was called on the market at 2.375 million. Prior to the auction, Chloe Wither said it was the potential that was exciting for house hunters. One of the really great things about the house is the interior, the proportions and feel of the places kind of give you the goosebumps. Somebody will do something magnificent with it. Now this article is available on stuff.pro.nz and it really looks terrible this house really uh yeah it's pretty gross it's got a um, lime green kitchen cupboards yellow walls in the kitchen got wallpaper which is literally fully peeling off um, in this property itself so it's really it's on a um you might think well maybe it's the land is the reason but however this four bedroom villa sits on a 481 square meter site so uh that's on a heritage site as well, so you can't really change too much about it. Um, however, the article does go up on to say that renovated villas in the area can fetch upwards of 3 million and some closer to 4 million or more. So I'm sure that somebody, will, well, the people that have bought it, will see the opportunity to do that up. Uh, whether they will sell it again or live in it, um, only time will tell. So here's another article to do with uh, lockdown. I'm trying to keep a bit of a theme here. Um, the, this says, tenant upset at request for virtual property inspection. A Wellington tenant is warning other renters to be aware of their rights after being told his property manager would inspect his home via Zoom in the higher alert levels. Aro Valley resident Geordie Rogers was sent a message from Cornovic telling him, as we are unable to continue with in-person inspections during Alert Level 3 and 4, all inspections will instead be completed on the phone via video link. 
he was told the manager would be walked through the property and the tenant would be directed to areas that we think we need to look at more closely. Tenancy services has advised at level four property managers and landlords cannot carry out in-person inspections. At level three, it is recommended that in-person inspections only occur in emergency situations. At both levels, virtual inspections are possible if the tenants agree. Rogers emailed back and said he did not consent. Any tenants that do this, that do get this from their landlord around lockdown, I'd advise them to look at the tenancy services website. If you're told they're going to inspect digitally, you don't have to do it. While there was provision in the law for landlords to visit with appropriate notice, tenants would have to agree to virtual inspection even in non-COVID times. Uh, this is because the law simply didn't allow for the scenario when it was written. So Paul Chapman, the Chief Operating Officer at Cornovic, said property inspections were an important part of property management. They provide our property owners with the comfort that their property is being looked after, and they also allow for maintenance issues to be identified early by our tenants and property managers, and rectified before they get any worse. He said this was usually done by physical inspection every quarter. He goes on to say that during the last Level 4 lockdown in 2020, some of our franchisees elected to carry out their inspections via Zoom. Any such inspections were carried out with the agreement of the tenant and prescribed notice periods were well adhered to. The process worked well and allowed items of maintenance to be identified early and for issues to be resolved quickly as COVID levels allowed. With the uncertainty of how long the current lockdown will last, and given there continue to be new cases in the community, one of our Wellington franchises recently sent an email to their tenants who had an inspection due. The email advised the property manager would be in contact to confirm a time to complete the inspection and noted the prescribed notice periods would be adhered to. If the proposed time was not suitable, if the tenant did not wish to complete the inspection via Zoom, the inspection would have to be deferred until it could be carried out in a mutually convenient time. So that's really, I guess, where um, it's an example of a company trying to do something to help protect their owners, uh, protect uh, the property, abide by insurance and so forth. However, tenants can say no to that inspection uh, going ahead. So let's maybe look at this now at a slightly wider level. How does the property market work at different alert levels? So the extension of the level four lockdown means restrictions on buying, selling or renting property are here to stay for longer, but there are different rules at different levels. At level four, the primary objective of level four is to lock down movement and restrict the spread of COVID, and this is when the restrictions are most stringent. Real Estate Authority Chief Executive Belinda Moffat says real estate is not classed as an essential service, so during level four, during level four any business must be undertaken remotely, via phone, email or video. So that means agents cannot visit properties for appraisals or conduct property viewings, open homes or pre-settlement inspections, while buyers cannot visit the properties. In-person auctions cannot be held, although they can be run online or during using phone bidding. Anyone who's planning to move during this time is out of luck because it's usually not possible for people to move houses at level four. Property settlement can still take place in situations where no one is moving such as if a tenanted property has been sold and the tenants are staying. But the authorities' advice is that settlements should be deferred for 10 working days after relocations are permitted. And that's what they did last year. Deferring a settlement depends on cooperation and compromise by both parties, Moffat says. Never needs to understand the consequences of deferring settlements, such as finances or the availability of house movers. 
It's likely with people with property under conditional contract will not be able to meet their obligations in level four and will have to negotiate on how to manage the situation. We also recommend new listings are deferred as there are difficulties around agent obligations, taking photos and inspecting the property. Some listings are possible if most of the activities were completed before lockdown and everyone is clear about what has occurred. So really pretty tough to do that. I know that um, we sold a property last year in level four without people actually visiting it using 3D tours and so forth. So it's just the thing is you can't do anything with close contact. So if we are moving to level three, let's see how that affects the housing market. At level three, auctions are still conducted via online or phone bidding while the open homes remain prohibited. But limited viewings can take place with two visits per property per day and only two people from a bubble at each viewing. Physical distancing from other people has to be observed at all times. So you can contact your real estate salesperson for a personal private viewing during level three, but uh, you won't be able to go to open homes. It's also possible for people to move in or out of a property at level three, but travel between regions for a move could be restricted. And if we then go to level two, at level two, there are still restrictions on movement and on the number of people who can visit a property or attend auctions. And that means attendance at open homes and auctions has to be strictly managed and contact between people has to be limited. But pre-settlement inspections, appraisals and listings can all be carried out providing the official guidelines are followed and physical distancing rules are observed. Settlements and house moves can take place. Moffat says agents should already keep a record of everyone attending viewings, open homes and auctions for contact tracing purposes. The government's recent changes to requirements for glass canning and wearing masks will now come into play during level three. Similar restrictions are enforced at each alert level for the rental market, with little activity possible at level four because landlords, tenants, and property managers are all supposed to be locked down. Alan Galloway, who is Tenancy Services National Manager of Dispute Resolution, says at level four, tenants can only move house if required to do so by a court order, or if they need to use a temporary or emergency home due to illness or to escape from family violence. If a tenancy is due to end during level four period, the landlord and tenant should talk about extending the tenancy until the level changes. Likewise, if a new tenancy agreement is due to start, those involved should reach an agreement. For example, they may agree to postpone the start date so that the tenant doesn't have to pay rent before they're able to move in. There's always other scenarios that come out as well, like this one here. Tenants who are in self-isolation when a tenancy is due to end will have to talk to the landlord about extending the tenancy until the mandatory isolation period has ended. Level four also means that rental viewings and in-person inspections cannot be carried out, but a landlord or property manager can conduct a virtual inspection as long as they have agreement from their tenants. It's also possible uh, to have Zoom meetings, of course, and companies that have 3D modeling and so forth can still show people through. Galloway says that while non-urgent repairs and maintenance cannot happen at level four, if there's an immediate risk to health and safety, a tradesperson can be hired to conduct repairs. So carrying out rental activities does become easier for landlords at each level. As movement and contact becomes less restricted, but the appropriate physical distancing and safety protocols must be followed at all levels. So urgent and non-urgent repairs can happen at level three, and routine maintenance can be added into the mix at level two. 
Level three, only two rental viewings per day can take place by appointment. So if you're a tenant looking to rent a property, uh, it's just a matter of um, managing that uh, as best possible. Just contacting the uh, property manager or the landlord and arranging to see if you can have one of those two appointments during the day. So what about tenants? What can they do? At level three, tenants can move within their own region. And if they're relocating their home or business, they can travel between regions. But at level two, all tenants can move between all regions. At level three, in-person inspections are permitted in emergency situations, such as if a landlord needs to confirm that emergency maintenance is required, while at level two, routine inspections can take place. Overall, he says, tenants and landlords should try to be flexible in these extraordinary times to ensure safety is paramount. So a lot of things happening there. It will become less restrictive if you are looking for a house buy or to rent, you will have to make direct contact with uh, the person who can show you through. Okay, a wire wrapper MP, this is moving a bit closer to home, re requests for Woodville land to become social housing that's been turned down by the government. An opportunity to turn vacant land in Woodville into social housing has been knocked back by the reasons Horizons Regional Council with councillors instead looking at its investment potential. But the person who wanted the housing, Wairapa MP Kieran McAnulty, says he is not disappointed at his request being declined, but still believes more social housing can be built in town. Horizons Regional Council owns various investments in properties, both outright and through its commercial arm, MWRC Holdings. So prominent investments include a 23% stake in Wellington Centreport and the Te Nui building, home to Inland Revenue and Civil Defence Operations in Palmerston North. With regards to this uh, property, the council owns 112 and 114 Vogel Street and 66 Burgoyne Street in Woodville. Properties have a combined market value of $540,000. Horizons Acting Corporate and Governance Manager David Neal said the council was approached by McAnulty to see if it had surplus land in Tararua for social housing. Woodville properties located around the council's service centre in the town were not used for operations. The two plots are empty, with concrete pads suggesting buildings can be used on the site. Third property had sheep on it to keep the grass down, according to the reporter. If the properties were declared surplus, the council would have to dispose of the land somehow, and there's no guarantee that Kainga Ora, the Crown Agency in charge of state social housing, would buy the land. Unless Horizons wants to become a public landlord a bit more, then they'd have to decide what to do there. Um, there's always a possibility that other social housing providers might buy that land and put property on them. So uh, we'll just sort of see where that one goes, I guess. This article here surprised me from a long-time Wellington renter. And this article on stuff says, The gaping hole in the ceiling is the last straw for long-time Wellington renter. This article by Michaela Wilkes. It's got some photos here of a massive hole in the ceiling. It says here, a sheet of duct tape plastic covering a big leaking hole in the ceiling was this long-time Wellington renter's final straw. Demi Kirkpatrick of 35 has rented on Courtney Place Tarot since 2017. The government relations worker pays $335 per week for a one-bedroom apartment, which she vacated the night before Level 4 lockdown settings came into effect, after she was left staring at the underside of the neighbour's shower. That, that is through the, through the ceiling. She says, this is your... 
classic Wellington apartment. Nothing's happened since 93. The walls are crystal yellow, but unfortunately never had a rent increase and you get what you pay for. In early June, the shower in the apartment above Kirkpatrick started leaking into her ceiling, and since then she's been trying and failing to get the problem seen to. She contacted her private landlord on June 14th with pictures of damage. A tiny bit of wallpaper was coming off, but when I touched it, it felt like I could put a hole through it. Kirkpatrick's landlord got in touch with the building manager to organise a repair, but by July nothing had been arranged and debris started crumbling into her shower. Now this went on for uh, quite some time indeed. And it was only on August 17th, the day that we New Zealand actually learned had the first case of COVID-19 in the community in 170 days, that three plumbers were contacted by Quinovic, the upstairs apartment's property manager arrived. Plumbers made the hole five times bigger and secured it with a sheet of plastic and some tape, said Kirkpatrick. The plastic fell down later that night, and when I phoned to ask them to come and fix it, they refused due to lockdown. It meant she faced spending level four with a gaping hole in her ceiling. She offered to pay from her own pocket to have the hole patched up at short notice, but tradespeople could not deal with her as a tenant rather than the homeowner of the property. I would um, beg to differ on that one, but that's nevertheless what this article says. Uh, remember, if you're a tenant and looking at getting a repair done, you can have it done yourself and then um, get the money back out of the owner under certain circumstances. This would certainly be one where you could do that. On top of that, the flatmates of the upstairs apartment wanted to use Kirkpatrick's shower. She said they texted me to ask if they could use my shower during level four while they waited on repairs. So the people upstairs are in a worse condition. Kirkpatrick, who was homesick with severe asthma, described herself as being extremely stressed, feeling she had no way to contain the water from a hole that big. Although Kirkpatrick left her landlord several voicemails, he did not answer. He texted say he had emailed Konovic to express his frustration and then suggested she contact Konovic directly. Philippa Hurst, the operations manager of Konovic Kent Terrace, provided a timeline of events that matched Kirkpatrick's recollection. Plumbers went in to open up the ceiling to investigate the source of the leak and patched up a temporary hole made in the ceiling. We received an email advising the tape had come apart and the ceiling opened. Konovic could not get a builder or plumber in to make the repair because of the lockdown announcement. She said she'd taken all reasonable steps to resolve the issue in as short a time frame as possible. That's just, uh, I guess, an, an industry that's caught up here, but... Would this be considered an emergency? Not too sure, but uh, certainly you'd want to get somebody in there to fix that as soon as possible because you can get tradies to do emergency jobs during alert level four, but only for the essentials. Uh, the government's examples of essential work for plumbers include repair or replacement of a failed hot water cylinder or unblocking or repair of sanitary waste or water supply pipes. So it's interesting that they're probably stuck in a bit of a position here and hopefully uh, when Wellington goes into level three that will get sorted out very quickly the requirement on what you can and can't do gets lifted a bit and that's all we've got time for this week here on property matters just recording from my home studio of the dining table hope you've enjoyed it and we look forward to catching up with you next week thanks for listening If you're a fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the Kiwi Fruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show.